Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. It won't be long until we're talking about football and actual games and watching games. But college football has dominated the news cycle this summer, throughout the winter, of course. Chris Benini, senior writer of The Athletic, has been all over a lot of this, and he wrote a fantastic column about Stanford, Cal, and the ACC. Conference realignment. What have we learned about it? Benini's here to talk about it, among other things. Joining us. What has your life been like as it pertains to the job in college football. How different has this year felt for you? Well, it hasn't felt any different than the last three years, and, and that, that is the second year in a row I'm on vacation during conference realignment, and you got to get back to work. So, you know, <laughs> this, this is it had become a year-round sport a long time ago, but now every July and August is the next tectonic shift, and I didn't even realize till today that we actually have football games next week week zero and i'm actually got me really excited but there's obviously still realignment that still needs to be shaken out all right give give me an idea because it was we had a family trip in early july we went to new york uh we have three daughters and we're at the statue of liberty and you know what chris i'm like on the platform of the statue of liberty updating a column that i've written and everybody else is enjoying vacation and what do you do when you're on vacation and hell breaks loose well, last year I remember sitting on the beach uh, uh, in Canada. My, I'm from Detroit. My parents have a place in Canada on a lake. And I remember thinking, oh, we're, we're finally having a normal preseason. You know, after the Texas-Oklahoma and all the fallout, we're finally going to have a normal stuff. And then the next day when I'm on my plane is when the USC-UCLA news happens. This year you kinda, I, I went back up to Detroit, knew it was going to happen. And the big stuff got settled before I went to SummerSlam in Detroit with my family. So I was able to not work while I was there at the show. But then we went up to Canada the next uh, the next day and was back to realignment once again. You go into you cross the border and stuff happens. Uh, Chris Vanini of The Athletic is with us. Stay, uh, stay stateside for us for a minute here so we can sort some of this out. But the ACC, Stanford Cal, you wrote about it today. And, you know, you're, you're sort of saying that look, look at the history of all this. What do you see when you see that ACC decision as it pertains to Stanford and Cal? I just think about the last couple of years we've had where 2016, the Big 12 could have expanded, brought a bunch of schools in to take a look at. They ultimately decide not to expand. Five years later, Texas, Oklahoma leave, and the conference nearly collapses. Pac-12 has a chance to expand. Could have added some of those Big 12 schools. USC kind of leads the charge against it. They don't expand. The next year, USC and UCLA leave, and now we're at a point where the Pac-12 has collapsed. And so it's just there's a lot of history, I think, to learn from that. And now the ACC has the grant of rights through 2036. There is more security in that. But it's very clear Florida State has been very open with how much it wants to leave the ACC. And if Florida State eventually leaves and maybe a couple other schools follow, you want to have enough numbers in place to survive and not have to add somebody from the American or something like that. To add the quality of schools like Stanford and Cal available, 
essentially as like unrestricted free agents, I think the ACC has to do whatever it can to get enough presidents to yes to add them. When I saw that it was one vote short, I went, well, that'll happen by Monday. Uh, where does it stand now in your mind? Nothing seems to really have changed. There, there is at least four no's. Some others are maybe more on the fence. But interestingly, the no's that we know of are Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina. Not surprising. And then NC State is the other one. And that's an interesting situation because they're not an AAU school. They're not one of the biggest brands like a Florida State. If they were to jump from the ACC, so to speak, I don't know if they'd have a landing spot. But North Carolina and NC State operate under the same board of governors. It's part of the UNC system, so kind of like the Arizona situation. I don't know if you'll be able to split them or not. If you can, NC State might be the swing vote, so to speak, to get to 12 out of 15 presidents saying yes. Um, nothing seems to have changed since the last couple of days, but, uh, you know, these things, this is something that doesn't need to be determined immediately. You can take your time on it. You can work people and, and try to figure it out from there. We, uh, you know, we're looking at a landscape that just saw the collapse of the PAC 12 and you got the Nebraska AD coming out over the weekend saying, look, this isn't the end of it. It's going to continue. Um, obviously Oregon and Washington make a decision that is like a 20-year view view decision. They weren't doing this for a short-term move. They're taking you know, a limited distribution to get security. Um, what do you expect it to look like 10, 15, 20 years from now, Chris? I mean, are we looking at a landscape that has two conferences and 40 teams, or how many conferences, how many teams in your mind? I, I think we do move to some sort of future that is two major conferences at the top of the sport, you know, I, I hate all this realignment stuff, you know, up front. Like, I just I hate all this that is happening. But it, it, I understand why schools are making moves for money right now. I understand why Florida State is screaming that it has to find a place where it can make more money because it's very possible we're coming up on a future where schools have to pay players. And so you need money to do that. And the reason we're getting to a place where you may have to pay players it's because the schools hoarded all the money and didn't give it to the players. So like it's always there's always been another reason you got to have more money, and so I think we get there. I, I think it's certainly possible that you see consolidation within those conferences. At what point does Ohio State say, you know, I don't think we should be making the same amount of money as Indiana, or if you're in the SEC, the same thing about the Mississippi schools or South Carolina. Like if if the Pac-12 can essentially die over TV revenue and decisions made by certain people, as that linear TV continues to collapse, there's less and less money available that it's just it's being funneled toward the top. And at some point, the top teams are not going to want to be splitting money with the bottom teams. And I worry that teams are going to either be kicked out of a conference or left behind for some new conference if football decides to do its own thing. Chris Benini, the athletic senior writer, covers college football, among other things. Uh, as, as it pertains to Oregon State and Washington State, there's a lot of rubbernecking going on with the ACC-Stanford-Cal decision. I think they're hoping that their first bet would be to try to put the Pac-4 back together again somehow, like Humpty Dumpty. But I'm kind of also wondering, how much can you trust Stanford? I mean, if they are... One vote away, where are they in a year? When uh, The next time the Big Ten wants to expand, does that mean you're losing them as well? What advice would you give Oregon State and Washington State today? 
Yeah, I'm not high on the possibility of the Pac-4 rebuilding for the obvious reasons. One, you probably can't get any Mountain West schools this year. Even American schools, it would be quite costly to get out of. You'd be jumping into a league that doesn't have a TV deal. You'd have to figure that out. You're jumping into a, a league that's probably going to lose its college football playoff money. It's, it's A5 status. Owns the Comcast money, has some lawsuits going on. Like, it's not that big of a revenue jump to make to make a move like that. And you know Stanford and Cal is still going to try to get into the Big Ten at some point. You know, I, I can't imagine they would sign a grant of rights for that new conference. Group of five conferences don't have grant of rights for that reason, because schools don't want to agree to it because they want to jump to somewhere else. So if you form a new Pac-4, Stanford account may still leave in a few years. And then, then what are you left with? It's, it's kind of a weird situation. I know the American is making a big push to try to get all four of them. They believe their, their, their TV deal with ESPN is, is a benefit. They tried to, you know, they thought they almost made a Western wing a few years ago with the Mountain West schools. They'd love to do that again. They've, they've got better academic schools in the Mountain West. Ultimately for Oregon state and Washington state, it feels like the best fit is probably the Mountain West. Uh, even if that's disappointing, but it's 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 like-minded schools. It's been a very good conference. You can create a lot of rivalries in there. Um, I know the schools have said, hey, we want to compete at the Power Five level, and you're, just, you're not going to make up the revenue. I just I don't think there's any way they can, um, and and so it's just kind of dealing with that. Do you think it becomes a challenge in the Mountain West for them to consistently compete, or do they go? Like, you know, I saw the comment from Kirk Schultz, the president at Washington State. He says. You know, we'll continue to invest like a Power Five school. You know, he's sort of hinting at, hey, if we go to the Mountain West, we're still going to spend. I just don't know if you're going to be able to recruit, it, you know, like a Power Five school while you're in the Mountain West. You won't be. And, you know, maybe you win a couple of years. Can you get access to the playoff? And if you get to the playoff, do you run into Ohio State once there? And, you know, they walk in with $68 million in media money and you have $6.8 million. You know, it, it it becomes David and Goliath in that position. I I just I don't know where it's headed, and I can see the tears. You can we can all see the tears that are forming already. Yeah, and, and and not only that, but like especially if you're a Washington State, you know that's being Power Five, being Pac-12 is one of the things they have over Boise State. You know, they're not that far apart. If you're in the same conference, suddenly that's also a boost to Boise State's fortune. There's really no. There's no easy fix. There's no obvious fix. There's almost no chance they remain a so-called Power Five team and, and make up that revenue. There's just there's just no way to really do that. And I know with the money that's been put into facilities and stuff like that, especially at Washington State, that's difficult. And that's just that's part of the sadness of all of this. What it does to schools like that, what it does to their fans, and and people like that who get left behind. And I worry over the next 10, 20 years. You're going to have more schools that end up in that exact same situation. What What's it going to take? I, I thought Chip Kelly's comment about, hey, why not separate football? What's it going to take, Chris, to, to have that be a thing? It's going to take contracts that line up and people who are willing to do that kind of stuff. The reason you can't just pool everybody together or move them around is because they all have different contracts and TV deals that end at different times and, and nobody wants to give up an advantage that they may have. So that's why college football has never been a cleanly organized sport. Shoot, it took a century before we could declare a true national champion in this sport. You know, it's just it's the it's the way it's always been organized is regional and in in, in in different kind of confederates all over the place. 
and now it's trying to be a national sport, but you have these contracts that are set to go way into the future, and they're very, very difficult to get out of. So there's no clean way to break. You know, there, there's, there's no clean way unless it, – it also, you know, the conferences don't want to lose the football teams. You know, like they'll take all the sports. It's, it's just it's a very – it's a mess of things that's going to take – a lot of time to sort out and I don't think you'll have just one day where a bunch of teams do this and other teams do that and we have a clean break it's just it's going to continue to be messy especially if you throw things in like player compensation that are probably coming down the road it's only going to happen even more so that may be the thing that ultimately kicks it off hey we're paying our players it's not amateurism we have to leave the NCAA like that's it's it's possible we get there but everybody's reacting to things in real time. And I don't know if any of the people currently in charge are going to be the ones who make those decisions. I'm looking at the group of five schools now. And, you know, I, I covered Pat Hill back in the day when he was at Fresno state and he was playing anybody, anytime, anywhere. And he kept saying, just throw us a bone, just throw us a bone. Well, the expanded playoff will uh, potentially give, you know, a a conference champion in the mountain West, a, a shot to matter. Do you think those teams really will matter or will it just be, Hey, they're in. They're cannon fodder in the opening round. Uh, how compelling do you expect the expanded playoff to look early on? It'll be extremely compelling just because it's fresh and it's new and, and, and whatever that is. I think the fact that it's a 12 team instead of a 16 team helps the group of five in the sense that whoever that G5 team is won't be playing the number one team in the country. Mm. You know, they'll be playing, uh, depending on how they do the auto bids, if they keep them conference champs or not. It could be a, it could be an SEC team or it could be a conference champion from from somebody else. I think it's certainly possible you'll have a year where a group of five team can beat a top five team or a top seven team or something like that that's in the playoff. I mean, we we've seen it several times just in the last handful of years when UCF beat Auburn, Tulane beat uh, USC, Memphis went toe to toe with Penn State. If you get the right matchup, I certainly think it, they can get an upset here or there, but it's going to make the group of five feel more important than ever before. Now they're finally in the biggest stage outside of that. Obviously that one year Cincinnati made it. And I just, as this realignment stuff happens, I keep thinking back to that meeting here in Dallas, 2021, when the 12 team playoff was kind of approved to take a feasibility study to look into it. And they celebrated all the commissioners talked about how this was, they were all doing the best for the sport. It was a shared sacrifice you know, Notre Dame gave up its ability to get a buy. Everybody was in it together. Two years later, they've all ripped each other to shreds, and realignment <laughs> has killed the conference. And we haven't even gotten to that 12-team playoff. And I really thought the 12-team playoff was going to slow things down because everybody had a path now, you know. But these schools have decided that I'm willing to, if I'm Oregon or Washington, I'm willing to give up an easy path to the playoff to, to get extra money, you know, eight years from now in the Big Ten. And I just, I think that sends such a bad message to fans. You look at the history of the last 10, 15 years of realignment, how many of these schools that jump conferences are really happier? Are you going to be happy, uh, you know, going eight and four, nine and three, and trying to back into the playoff in a loaded Big Ten as opposed to going 11 and one and winning the Pac-12? I don't think fans are going to like that all that much, but everybody feels like you have to take the money, you have to take the security, because of what may be coming down the line, I think that's going to just turn a lot of fans off, you know, when they realize their team isn't winning as much as it used to. I have a very, you know, West Coast-centric view of all of the 
all of what's going on. It's where I grew up. It's where I work and live. And, you know, it's kind of how we view things. And uh, it's interesting to me to talk with people who are in other parts of the country about college football because, you know, I'm really interested to see, you know, how many of these Pac-12 teams can stay uh, near the top of the top 25. Will they uh, will they uh, cannibalize each other in week seven and beyond in the season? And, you know, can Utah play without Cam Rising? What will DJ Uyunglele look like at Oregon State? And Bo Nix with a new coordinator. But where's your head as it heads to week zero and you, and you think about the actual games? I literally just recorded our Pac-12 podcast, Pac-12 preview podcast with Ari Wasserman and – I said it months ago, but I think the Pac-12 is going to be the most fun conference of college football, like, by a lot. Like, the quarterback play, everything about this league is going to be so exciting. And the league finally scheduled smart, where almost all of the big games are happening in the second half of the season. So it's a year when you're going to have teams inflate their records before they start losing a game here or there. So they won't tumble down so far. If you're in the top 10 and you lose to the team that's number 15, you're not going to fall out of the top 25 and stuff like that. So I think that was a, a, the Pac-12 scheduled itself very well. It's very easy to see Oregon State starting off the year 9-1 and one with that schedule and going into the Oregon and Washington games to close the year. So I think the Pac-12 is going to be a lot of fun. The last year we kind of get it, and I hope everybody enjoys it for what it is. Who's your Pac-12 championship game? Washington versus Oregon State. Ooh. Kind of a it, it's it's tough. Like one of the questions we had on our podcast was like, is it going to be a combination of USC, Washington, Oregon? Like maybe, but like the field is so deep with Utah and Oregon State and UCLA, and it's it's like it could be any collection. I'm really high on Washington. I'm really high on Kalen DeBoer as a coach and everything that they're bringing back. And like I said, I think Oregon State's schedule is favorable. You can see them starting off nine and one. If you split the last two games to be 10 and two that probably gets you in the championship game so uh i'm going washington oregon state washington's november is brutal it's the only thing that gives me pause as yeah. i look and i go do they survive that month without you know losing two games down the stretch and and having to go to oregon state after coming off i think it's utah usc or oregon utah usc some brutal stretch where they play you know three of those in four weeks it's uh, I think I, I think I called it bloody November for Washington, but I, I don't think it, I don't think there's a wrong answer because you look at or you can make a case for Oregon State with a straight face, uh, Oregon of course, USC of course, Washington of course, and then the minute I do that, I go oh if I don't pick Utah, Kyle Whittingham is going to punch everybody in the nose and end up in there anyway. Like it's it's just it, and then don't forget about the, Chip Kelly. They all have difficult schedules because they all play each other, you know. <laughs> So it's it's like they they all they all have to beat each other up at some point. So someone else has a difficult schedule. You may have a difficult schedule, but so do all the other teams you're competing with. You know, it's not like anybody has a, a, an easy walk. Chris Benini, the Athletic. Follow him on Twitter. Read him at the Athletic. Chris, thank you for giving us your time. I appreciate you, man. Yep, thanks for having me. All right, good stuff from him. Follow him on all the realignment talk. Uh, he had a great piece today about why the ACC should grab Stanford and Cal. Uh, it's the truth. I mean, if you look at the Pac-12, the Pac-12's um, the Pac-12's demise could, you know, probably be explained by bad leadership first and foremost. Should be explained that way. Then you talk about strategic mistakes, not expanding when you had the chance to expand. The fact that they didn't have 
Uh, the ability to replace a divot or two as they started to lose teams has left them only with four teams. Think about the possibilities had they moved to expand sooner. I I don't agree with Chris on his pick, though, Stephen, for the Pac-12 championship game. I I don't see Washington getting there. Not I'm looking at their schedule right now, and I, I get it. Everybody's schedule's brutal. It's true. But Washington plays at USC on November 4th. They host Utah on November 11th. They go to Oregon State on November 18th, and then they finish with the Apple Cup. There could be two or three losses in there for Washington. That is not an easy path, and I think he's right about Oregon State having the easiest schedule, I think, of the five contenders, the five-ranked teams. But I think Oregon's right behind them, and I think when you look at um, you know Oregon and the ability for Oregon to, you know, they play at Washington, it's true. They have that game in Week 7 at Washington, but, you know, and they have USC at home and they play Oregon State, but, you know, and they go to Utah. I guess I guess yeah. everybody's got it tough. But Oregon State doesn't have to do that. Oregon State doesn't have USC, and Oregon State gets Utah and Washington at home. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think Oregon State is probably the least talented out of all those five schools, but they may, you know, they have one of the best coaches, and they have by far the easiest schedule. Like, you've talked about that. Like, the schedule that Oregon State plays – it is. I mean, it's it's tough because the Pac-12 is very good this season, but it's doable, and there is a legitimate chance for Oregon State to get there. I, you know, I agree with Chris. I don't think Washington will be in the Pac-12 title game. I think that the offense is just so good, um, and they, I think they're just scratching the surface with year one with Michael Penix. But I mean, you can't really go wrong with those five teams. Like, it, it's really going to come down to maybe the last two weekends of the season when they're all playing one another. And, and it's just, it's going to be a fun Pac-12 season because it's like you said, like Chris said, they all play one another. So we're really going to figure out who the top two teams are uh, going into Vegas. And here's the other thing, all right? Giving a prediction now before anybody's played a game, I, I, will, I will give you the right to change your mind in like week five after we've seen some football. Like, I always laugh at people who say, well, you have to stick with your pick that you made before the year. Well, you know, your mind can change after you see Washington play a little bit. You see Oregon and Bo Nix play a little bit. You see DJ Unga, Unga Lele at, at quarterback a little bit. You can change your mind. Um, and here's where I, what I will say for my prediction right now. I think USC gets to the title game. I think they've got the best player, and I think that defensively they'll be better than they were a year ago. So I'm going to put them in there. I think Utah's schedule is brutal, and I think Washington's schedule is brutal down the stretch. I don't like it. Uh, I wouldn't feel great picking those teams. So I'm going to say USC and the winner of the Civil War are in the Pac-12 championship game. And so uh, is that? am I hedging too much by just saying the winner of the Civil War? I think it's one of the Oregon teams, Oregon or Oregon State, against USC in Vegas for the final Pac-12 uh, championship. Could be a rematch of USC in Oregon from earlier in the season. Or it could be Oregon State's last opportunity to play USC, but I think they're—I think it's USC and one of the Oregon schools at the end of the rainbow. No, I don't think you're hedging. I think that's a—you know—it's a good call. Like it, it really might come down to that last weekend between Oregon State and Oregon because it does—you know—it also depends on what happens up in Seattle when Washington plays Oregon. If Oregon wins that game, I mean, it's really going to come down to what yeah. Oregon State does, and I think—I think those those may be the two most important games in the Pac-12 to figure out who the Pac-12 champion is going to be is Oregon at Washington and then Oregon, Oregon State in the final game of the season. Like, those three teams all playing each other, like, I think those are the teams that really have a chance to get up there and be that second team. Because I think we all agree that USC has the most talent and, you know, the best player. So it's it's tough to say, like, you know, I don't think that they're going to be there, but they still might be not be. I mean, this conference is good. Conference is so good that 
there are five ranked teams, and the sixth team, UCLA, uh, skips some teams in the in the rotation. They don't have to play uh, Oregon. I don't think they play Washington either, and so they skip those two schools. And I think UCLA might have a path that they could carve for themselves. They could be a really disruptive team. That, that, uh, that's the crazy the part with UCLA, John, is their win total is eight and a half. Like, they're projected to maybe be a nine-win team, and they're not even ranked in the top 25. Like, we don't even really consider them a, a legitimate contender for the Pac-12 title. That's how good this conference is. It's really interesting to me to kind of look at the Pac-12 because we think football matters, right? We just saw that that, that basically the media companies, the TV companies said, hey, we don't think the Pac-12 has got enough value to bid more than $30 million for their TV rights. And as a result, the Pac-12, which should have took the $30 million deal in the fall of 22, ends up imploding because they don't have a TV deal and everybody jumps. And yet the rankings come out today and five teams are ranked in the top 18 and there's going to be a ton of viewership. And Chris Benini, who covers college football nationally, comes on this show and says, hey, the Pac-12 is going to be the most interesting, most fun conference in the country this season. Um, the TV companies don't believe that the Pac-12 teams aren't interesting. They want to put them on TV. The, it's compelling stuff. They just didn't have any use for the conference itself. The teams, this is going to be a great season. There are great football programs in the conference. It's it's kind of a shame that this has unfolded the way it has because, you know, we cried foul for years. Hey, there's no basketball tournament teams. Hey, they're, they're terrible in the postseason in football. They can't win in the bowl season. And now we're looking at, here come the rankings, top 18, there's Oregon, there's Oregon State, there's USC, there's Utah, there's Washington. It's going to be a really good conference. Maybe they got a playoff team among them. Who knows? The narrative has shifted, and, uh, and yet the Pac-12 is going to have its last season as we know it. Punch it out. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.